This program is for educational purposes. It fits within YouTube's guidelines under the context of science. But in my mind, I, I lend a little bit of credence to taking it post-workout only because I think that's the time where you're going to be most insulin sensitive for the day. And I do think that with the translocation you're going to get for the uh, GLUT4 transporters, as well as the IGF receptors, uh, post-workout, then you feed your carbs, you get a flush of insulin, uh, and then you have IGF flooding the system from uh, the growth hormone and uh, released from liver. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Blood, Sweat, and Gear with Skip Hill, Andrew Berry. I'm Scott McNally. All of our programming is brought to you by truenutrition.com. You can use our code THINK to get some additional savings. If you're in Canada, go to supplementsource.ca. You can get some savings over there. <clears throat> Excuse me. Affiliated by amino-asylum.com. Use our code THINK. Uh, if you have ever gone through your desk and found a bottle of supplements that you never took and it's like two years expired, but you didn't throw it away. Hit the like button. And if you haven't subscribed, we'd love to have you along for all of our podcasts. I've got Skip and Andrew here who have been coaching for 13 years, for 14 years for Andrew, 20 years for Skip. I've been in it for 13 years and we're here today to freely share our education with you guys to help you be better at this sport that we love. With all that said, uh, we got a thing to kick off with here. We got all your listener questions. But Skip, I'm going to go straight to your video here. And we can talk about this while I roll it in the background. Let's see. Resume last video. There we go. So what's the what, what's what's the deal here, first of all? Well, this is a client of mine who, you know, and some of my clients, I'm sure other trainers do the same thing. But I've been trying to do it more um, within this last year or so where I have clients send me videos of their form if they have any questions, kind of encourage them to um, basically to critique their form if they want it or if they have concerns. Sure. So he sent me this video of this RDL and he's a hard working, you know, guy. He's not, you know, he's not a shortcut guy, none of that shit. But in tweaking this, and, and I'm not going to give my opinion first. I want to ask you guys what you think. And I don't think it's, you know, it's certainly not horrible form or anything else, but there's something that stands out to me. And I wonder if it stands out to you guys. And so I kind of am putting it, I, I want to throw it to, to you guys and tell, ask you what you think. If you had to just be super critical and pick this apart, what do you see, if anything, as, as a flaw or something that could be tweaked in this from an RDL standpoint? Andrew, you got anything that speaks to you offhand? Man, I'm going to be first to say that my least favorite exercise is any type of RDL because I just don't feel them very well. Okay. And when I do, when I do feel them, I also feel my back working or my, my lower back hurting more, more or less. But um, looking at his form, you see a slight, slight round on his back when he gets down deep. And in my mind, like I wouldn't go as deep as he's going. Uh, part of that is again, protect the back. That's what I'm seeing. Um, yeah. That's really it. Yeah. He's going pretty deep got? there. <clears throat> okay. I'll say this. Um, a lot of times what I have people tell me is I don't like doing any type of like a, a movement, RDL movement like this because I, my lower back gives out before I feel it in my hamstrings. Now, if somebody was trying to grow their hamstrings and they don't feel this exercise well, I would set it up by being later in the workout where I would probably do 
like a real focused hamstring curl where we can really tear that hamstring up. Then even going to a compound movement where we can use obviously everything, but a lot of hamstring. And then from there going to something like this. And what I usually have people do, because like I said, the main issue I find is that people have lower back issues. I have them stop wherever their range of motion is. So like if you see, like if you see, watch his, if you look at his hips and they're moving backwards, right? And I learned this from John Meadows and watching his videos in mm -hmm. part. But like if you watch this, like, okay, I'm going to be like real gay here. Sorry, that's okay. Gay's okay. I apologize, guys. I don't, no offense. Watch you his had butt. 20 seconds. You could have yeah. pushed the button, but no. <laughs> if you watch as his butt moves back as he's bending forward. And then at a certain point, that stops happening right about there. And now what's doing the movement? This is all lower back. This is all lower back right here. Yes, you do get a good stretch in the hamstring through that process, but you're using a lot of lower back in the process. I would rather cut that rep short personally. And personally, I wouldn't mind. I don't care if it doesn't give you great glute growth activation, whatever. I finish it off and bring it all the way up. I can understand. I'm not going to argue that aspect of it. Maybe you do want to just keep that tension in the hamstring so you don't come all the way up. But I would rather bring it all the way up and kind of bend back, lock it out, and then stop right up for him. It would probably be right about there. Right about there. I wouldn't go any Hold lower than that. Hold that right there. Don't even move that. Okay. Um, and go ahead and finish. I, I certainly don't want to cut you off. But no, I no, no. There. That's all I had to when, say. Okay. I'm, I'm curious okay. to hear what you have to say. Okay, cool. Here's, here's I feel better with this because I was starting to doubt it. I'm not a big RDL guy either, but I have become one recently because I've been having so many knee issues that I'm limited towards the top quarter of locking out with my, with my knee at the top, shit like that. Anyway, I said the same thing. I thought it was too deep. The round, I, you both explained it well, but I, I was impressed because, Scott, you went into it. I mean, you damn near verbatim said what I was saying originally, but then I started to doubt it. I the didn't reason know what you is, were is because. I know. I mean, when I was um, explaining to my client. So, but then I said, in fairness, I'm like, you know what? This is a really good topic that I want to put on the podcast. I want to see what Andrew says. And I want to see what Scott says, because I don't have a, a long history uh, or a lot of experience with this movement first. Um, and this was explained to me my, by my occupational therapist. And I like the way she and her husband at Titan <laughs> um, explained where you keep the dumbbells. You're kind of painting your quads or your knees. It's much like a, dead, a regular deadlift in the sense that you want them close. I yeah. tended to keep them a little further away. And they were like, no, try pulling it in. That's Because it, leaving those dumbbells out and hanging almost straight down with your arms will put your lower back in a more vulnerable position. I have a history of lower back issues. And with my knee, I've had to play around with things that aren't exactly by the book. And people with injuries will have to do this. The longer you train, sometimes you got to tweak some shit and you're not going to get full extension on some movements and stuff because of potential injuries or things that just nag you. So I was good with it, but I, I started forcing them back in. So from that standpoint, it's great. He's on his heels for the most, not on his heels, but balanced through the ball and the heel. It appears throughout the movement. I don't see any rocking or coming forward, but that, that depth bothers me because it looks like a vulnerability. His, <clears throat> excuse me, his thing is he has incredibly good, he's young, <laughs> he has incredibly good flexibility in his hamstrings. So he says he has to get down there to feel that stretch. Here's my hangup with RDLs. If they're not heavy, 
I think they're great. And I like what you said, Scott, because I'm a pre-exhaust guy. I'm not going to just go into RDLs. I want to pre-exhaust with seated or, or lying leg curls first and really get them from an isolation standpoint and then kind of finish them off with the stretch. And I agree with you where you stop the video is damn near exactly the point where I think there's one more thing that I'll throw in here. And this is in the, and it's this, I'm cool with a straight back. It's back right there is not bad, but if you're able to pull the shoulders back slightly and drive the chest out just a little bit, you're going to get more stretch to the hamstrings by pulling at least an inch off the bottom of that range of motion as well. My mantra has always been to my clients. There isn't one thing in the gym that I can think of. You guys might. And if you do, you're going to throw it at me <laughs> and I get it. But my mantra has always been ass out, chest out. It really doesn't matter. Now I'm not talking about over exaggerated, but there is not one movement I can think of that you're going to do where your ass and your chest are not out. Doesn't matter if it's curls, doesn't matter if it's tricep press downs, benching, that sort of shit. So well, it's like a rendition guys, of the um, like athletic ready position. You know, like think about like playing sports. What's a shortstop do, or what's a middle right. linebacker do, or you know, almost any sport. You're in that position that you're talking about, ass out, chest up. Yep, exactly. So I think that's the only thing. But I'm glad that you guys both said the same thing because I really started to have my doubts because I was thinking maybe he was missing the stretch with that increase. But I don't think he's getting any more of a stretch from that point that you stopped the video, Scott. Yeah, yeah. To going down any further from a hamstring standpoint. And he's getting, in a sense, getting away with the added extra depth from a lower back standpoint because he's young. He doesn't have lower back issues yet. And before you have them, you don't think you're going to have them because you're essentially, I call them toddlers. You can drop a toddler off a laundry uh, like a laundry table in a laundromat onto a tile floor. Not that I ever have. My wife did. But <laughs> they, they kind of bounce in the sense, and you freak out, you think they're going to be broke. Now, if we fell from the same oh. distance, it would be like falling 15, <laughs> 20 feet, and we'd be crippled for life because we'd break our back. It's a difference between being younger and being older. And so my advice, not only to my client in this situation, but to anyone your age, just because there is no pain, just because there is no aggravation or irritation, doesn't mean that in not just in this exercise, but you don't need that that added extra pay attention to the depth and the mechanics, because even if it doesn't bother you at some point down the road, it absolutely can. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. You got anything else you wanted to add to that, Andrew, before we move down to our questions? Um, the only thing I'll say is I do enjoy doing um, some form of a stiff leg in a superset with a curl with a leg curl. Ooh. I think that feels really nice. And sometimes reversing the order and doing the ham, uh, doing, sorry, doing the stiff leg and then the ham curl afterwards yeah. creates a crazy nasty pump, but doing them both ways is great. That's typically the only way I will usually do them these days. I can see that. You know, I found too, for when my back was bad, when I did have issues with, I mean, number one, we'd even had somebody who said, uh, Danny mentioned, he was like, Hey, they give me crazy lower back pumps. You could try shortening that range of motion and I'd, I'd even suggest shooting video, you know, like you were saying, Skip, you do you do uh, these you, you talk with your clients like this. I do the same thing and I'll shoot. I'll hold my phone up and I'll shoot video back and do what I just did, you know, and be like, hey, here's the point I would stop because watch what happens. Um, but if that doesn't work, something you could at least try that would be cool, like Andrew's idea, superset it with like a banded stiff leg. You ever use just like a band around your neck down to your feet? That's yep. like a it's something you do with like higher reps or a really heavy band, but it's it doesn't have that same tension, that same pulling on your back. You know what I mean? Yeah. Meadows started that. Um, yeah. 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 I think like 
some of his programs almost 10 years ago and they've definitely been a staple. They're really good. That's where I got it. And listen, my lower back was really problematic, but between doing those and doing those as hyper extensions and then all the hypers that John put in his routine, like Mm -hmm. in his routines back, you know, years ago, man, I might, it strengthened my lower back up a lot. Mm -hmm. All right. I'll jump into the questions. I'm going to start guys. We've got four questions from Patreon. Then we've got a bunch of them that you guys left at YouTube and I've got some at Facebook. Anybody who's watching live here, you're welcome to jump on in with questions. We'll try to tackle them here on the show. Uh, YouTube, we appreciate everything that you guys commented. Uh, We've gotten a lot of really good feedback on the recent shows. And as I mentioned before, if you haven't subscribed, we'd love to have you along for all of our podcasts. Uh, This is from Jim from YouTube. By the way, I'll have links in the show notes if you want to check out our Patreon. Uh, Every $5 helps to support the programming. Jim says, uh, for someone who is a lifestyle bodybuilder, not competing, if you run two blasts per year in two long cruises, what would be the goal during your cruise? Eat and get big, maintain, or try and reduce body fat? Assume that over the course of the year, you want to reduce body fat a bit and add some muscle. Uh, 47-year-old uh, built dad asking. I'll, I'll start off with this. Um, I think it is not smart as soon as you come off your blast to go right into a diet phase. I think right off the bat, you're going to want to go into some type of maintenance phase and even still um, be trying to gain. Like I tell everyone when we go on a cruise is like, you're just using a little less gear and what does gear do? It increases muscle protein synthesis, which in turn increases your recovery. So my move usually is if, um, if they're training five or six days, I'm going to pull them back at least one day probably like two weeks into their cruise. And I want them to train like that for four weeks or so until they get their recovery underhand and then they can add a fifth day in again. I like that. Uh, Yeah. And and in terms of like, you know, dieting or, you know, trying to get big to me, the mindset is like, first you should still be trying to get strong or be as strong as you can. Like, don't you find like most of your clients, once they really hone in on it, they lose maybe like a rep or two at their top end. Like when, when they're cruising, like you shouldn't see a drastic, like 30% decrease in your strength to me. Like right. you're just not training hard enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but beyond that, I guess it just depends on like where you're at with your body fat and with your insulin sensitivity. Like for me, insulin mm-hmm. sensitivity really controls everything that I do myself. We got Damn, I don't have too much here. to add to that. The fact that Sorry, it, it's a, rec- again, it comes back to a recovery issue. The, What's uh, up, Douglas? Oh shit! Was that Doug? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he looked he looked great yeah. last week. He looked he he was peeled like oh, yeah. peeled peeled. It's cool Congrats, to see him buddy. having taken it from being a great amateur into the pros and being able to compete now. That's badass. Well, what he's done Solid is dude, you dude. know not, not not to like sidetrack at all about him, but yeah. he like completely you know he was like a big big dude, but now he looks like way more aesthetic, and he's always coming in great shape. But this conditioning was like like second to none. Yeah. Well, you guys are talking. Uh, I'm going to see if I can find his where picture. Where was I? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah Just copy all my points. Oh, yeah, basically, <laughs> I mean, you, you covered it very well. It comes back to recovery. And like you said, your recovery while you're transitioning, at some point, I put it at like three to four weeks, and that's yeah. going to be different for everybody. But at three to four weeks, you're going to start to <clears throat> potentially see, okay, my recovery is starting to build. Soreness goes up a little bit. It's, it should be noticeable, or you should start to see signs where the recovery is coming down a little bit. Where you cut a day off, I tend to cut volume. But again, it's mm-hmm. apples and oranges. I mean, it's the same thing, but it's 
achieving the same thing in the end. So if it's not frequency, it needs to be volume. If it's not volume, it needs to be intensity. But I'm with you. I would rather that my, not only myself, but my clients continue to train as intensely. And then you use those other two variables of frequency and volume to try to increase or at least hold the recovery ability going into the TRT phase. And I want to add this. I think that a lot of people think that coming off cycle, I know I used to when I was younger, coming off cycle, oh, I'm just not going to grow. And that impacts the way you approach your mm -hmm. training and your bodybuilding in general, because you start to think that it's not very significant. Well, it's just, I'll just get through this TRT phase and, oh, my workouts aren't very good, but fuck it. I'm not on cycle. When I get on cycle, I'm going to blow up again. It's just a really bad way to look at it because you should still be progressing through the TRT phase. So to go back to what Jim is asking, again, not dieting, restricting calories coming off a cycle, I don't think is a very good idea, even though you're trying to get leaner. I'm more of the maintain and even to the point of recomp a little bit during that. T and that's not as easy to do. And I get that. Uh, and age plays a big part in it. And he's 47. I'm 52. So he's closer to me than he is to you guys. It, it does get a little bit more difficult as you get older because recovery is compromised, but you should still be progressing. It's not progressing, maintaining. I, I guess what I was trying to say is that your at your attack or your attitude should still be the same. Like, yeah, like I'm still going in here to beat the weights up. Like I'm not accepting yep. that I'm going to be 60% or 80% of my strength that I was like, I'm still trying to get one more rep. I'm still trying to progress on my exercises. Yeah. 100%. 100%. <clears throat> I couldn't find a, a really good picture, Doug. I just like a opposing shot, a stage shot. But I saw this one was at his uh, his Facebook. You can see his legs. You know what? I'm gonna uh, let me throw something in real quick before I forget. Look at those wheels! Look at those wheels! Yeah, no kidding. If you can find a picture uh, of his backside, his glutes were like glutes and hams were inside out fish gill. Fucking no kidding. Gill. Yeah. I'm gonna assume Doug is still listening, and I don't want to get into this too personal. But Doug, reach out to me if you get a minute because we have a mutual friend that I'm concerned about. I heard some news the other day. And I want to touch base with you about him to see that he's okay and he's doing okay. This is what DM on. is for. We're doing a podcast. I know. Here. I know. But he's listening and I'll forget. And I can't remember what I <laughs> ate before you, I started the podcast. I'm giving so. you shit. I'm giving you shit. <laughs> uh, anyway. All right. Cool. We'll move on because we did have so many questions here. And I'm just going to start randomly grabbing things that I got here. Uh, we had one. This is something that's kind of different for us. Uh Okay. Hey guys, my wife is doing her first bikini show to get back in shape after having two kids and can't get her stomach flat. She's lean AF. I can see definition in her abs, arms, back, etc., but her stomach still sticks out. Our youngest is 15 months old. She's 32, uh, 5'2", 121 pounds. Uh, what do you guys recommend? P.S. She's 42 days out from her show. Can I take I this client. real quick? I, yeah. Real quick, I, I, five seconds. Get a pregnancy test. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's been 15 months. Maybe she's pregnant again, bro. It's a, nah, it's a no there. way. No, no I'm way. Fun with it. Go ahead. I'm it's possible. Fun. You never well, know. No, Good I, call, I, Skip. I, I had an experience. Skip has Skip has experience. He might know. With with being pregnant or getting women pregnant. A lot of babies. He's got a lot of kids, <laughs> man. Yeah, <he> <laughs> No, I, I had a client uh, in this exact situation. You know, she was a good bikini athlete and then went away for, let's say, four years, I think, to have two different kids. And while we could get her in shape, she had that that protrusion still in her stomach. Yeah. And a lot of that's from the hormonal changes that 
uh, go through a pregnancy that caused the hips and the abdominal region to kind of expand in preparation for a fetus, right? Sure. Um, and then a lot of that is also just not doing the same things that we do as athletes for that three, four year time period. So she had to really, really, really hone in on the vacuums, the waist yep. trainers. And, and, and before people go off, oh, waist trainers don't do anything. If anything, if they do anything, what they do is remind you to pull your abs in. Okay? Yeah, right, I don't yeah. believe they shrink your waist. They, they train you to pull your abs in. Mm -hmm. And I really believe in them because I've seen them work. Uh, ask Nate, you know, um, ask Nate about vacuums and, and waist trainers, you know, because before 2019 North Americans, people were thinking, oh, he doesn't have great structure. Suddenly he's an aesthetics guy. It's because yeah. he put his time. He, he went, he went and put work in on his, um, on his abdominals and mm -hmm. not training them, just doing the vacuums and doing the waist training stuff. So he I do think that is something with his own, like the nasty Nate spear waist trainer. He will make him he'll retire. Nate, take that idea, run with it. We'll advertise it on the show. But anyway, Let me piggyback to give, off that. go ahead. No, well, just, going. I was going to say just to give her like the practical, you know, what I have all my bikini girls do and, and other athletes every day. You're going to do six to 10 rounds of vacuums sometime when your stomach's empty, whether it's first thing in the morning for me, when I'm in prep, I do it when I'm in the shower, because that's when I can remember it's post-workout, my stomach's empty and I'm starving and it's an easy time to remember. Um, other people do it better at the gym. Their stomachs are pretty empty then. So six sets, hold it for 10 to 15 seconds. If you don't know how to do it, there's a million and one YouTube videos out there. Yep. Yep. TVA is huge. I'm going to throw in one more thing, and that is, um, and this is, I've written a couple of articles about it recently because I think it's been overlooked for a very, very long time, and I did the same damn thing a long time ago when I was in high school. There's a story behind it, but we don't have the time for it. Point is, is oblique training is, is highly underrated um, in combination with TVA. It's, we train abs, we train lower back. But the obliques are also stabilizers for the core and holding your guts in, especially as you get older. Now, with women, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't have a lot of experience because it hasn't been that long since I had started focusing again on oblique training. But with my older demographic with guys, we all know that as guys age, especially us older bodybuilders who have been around since the 80s, we can be lean and we still have this distension. We have poor TDA strength and control. I don't know exactly why it is. I don't know if it's huge meals for so long. I don't know if it's, you know, insulin, GH, everything else. I, I don't know. There, there just isn't a very clear cut reason, but the, the TVA training has been huge for me. And then adding the oblique training from a twisting standpoint has been very good. Wood choppers, twisting oblique uh, machines, things like that have really started to pay off. And it's only been a couple months that I have been doing that. And I'm already liking what I'm seeing. So I would encourage people maybe not to jump on the heavy oblique training and end up with Rich Gaspari obliques, mm -hmm. but at the same time, use them, pay attention to what's happening with your midsection. And that could help too. The other thing I want to add is the stomach, and this is no different between someone just having a baby or being an older guy, the stomach and, and the muscles around it, TVA and everything else are kind of like a rubber band. You can stretch it a hundred times and it'll remain elastic. You stretch it a thousand or 10,000 times and it's not going to be as elastic. So you, you, it isn't going to necessarily return to that same elasticity. It can, much like even loose skin after you lose a bunch of weight, but a lot, there's a big, big difference between some people, some people that have, will end up that their muscles and their skin is more elastic and will return to the regular and other people won't, or it takes longer. It could just be that it hasn't been long enough for her yet for those muscles to again, become tense, to become 
uh, controlled and they still, I mean, stretch. Think what, what happens to all your guts when you have a baby? Holy shit. Yeah. Like you said, the uh, hips moving and everything else is a lot going on there. And it, I mean, the stretching is just, it's, it's ridiculous. Hey, I just had a client text me and, uh, and I said, Hey, we're recording live now. So he, he was like, where are you at? He's never been with us live before. What's up, Jimmy? So uh, he joined oh, the group. He's on with us now. Um, well, one I'm more just, thing I'll say about that, unless you had a point, I just was going to say, um, public floor, you know, which is the vacuum yeah. stuff will be really good with that. But I know there's a lot of really good information about strengthening the pelvic floor in general. And, and there's stuff that's designed specifically for women that have been post-pregnancy and stuff like that. Like Victoria had, has given me a couple of different really informative articles on it. If he wanted to reach out to me, um, I think I might even have like a, a, um, an ebook, like free PDF type thing, um, that goes all through exercises for pelvic floor and that all that stuff is going to be super important, you know, for where she's at. Are we going to say Andrew? Oh, the only other thing that we didn't really touch on is, is it a digestive issue too? Like, is there some inflammation in the gut or the, or the colon or the intestines that's causing this? That, that would just be my next question to ask him, you know, is she experiencing, is she having trouble going to the bathroom is, you know, with regularity, does she feel bloated all the time? That kind of stuff. But it sounds like it is more of the muscular thing, but I still, I want to cover all bases for him. Yep. All right. What do we got here? Gareth, he says, uh, and he just uh, requested to join the group. I just approved him. He might not be with us live yet. Uh, hey, gents, um, some a some AAS give me a feeling of being hypoglycemic when I have eaten what I presume is a sufficient uh, is sufficient food. I take chromium to try to offset, but doesn't seem to help. What causes this? And any tips to alleviate it? I guess I'm wondering why he's taking chromium with it, right? In that instance, if his blood sugar is dropping precipitously. But a lot of orals in particular will cause, um, they cause increased uh, uh, glycogen synthesis. So they could clear your bloodstream rather quickly. Hmm. Um, that That's the, I mean, we know that for a fact. But then I also have a second hypothesis about this and its effect on the liver. And maybe it does something with the liver that uh, causes glucose to be taken up from the uh, bloodstream rather quickly. But I, I tried to, a couple of years ago, I looked into research on this, but I do know that some anabolics, um, particularly orals, will increase glycogen synthase activity, which means it's going to pull glucose out of your bloodstream at a faster rate. And as much as I know this, I have never once, and I am a professional drug user. <laughs> I'll never be a professional bodybuilder, but I'm a professional drug user. And personally, I have never had any type of hypoglycemic issue or anything that I have basically put together or connected with any AAS use. Have you guys, have you guys had that or is it, am I just kind of a, an outlier? What's that you, Scott? Honestly, it's not something that I, it's not something I can say I've run into with a client that I can think of in the last five years, honestly. Um, and I'm trying to think back because I feel like it's something that I'm, I feel like I knew this, like this is some, I, I feel like I've experienced this, but I honestly, I can't pinpoint when, but if so, it would have been a long time ago. And then my thought is when I was on cycle a long time ago, was I doing something different with my diet 
right. because now I'm on cycle and I'm using gear, you know, I, cause it's not something that I had experienced. Like I can say in the last five years with myself or anybody I've worked with. Mm-hmm. I asked well, that question I- along lines of correlation versus causation. I am not saying that it, it may not have some type of impact, but I have to wonder if the impact from the AAS is relatively minor and it's kind of piggybacking off of something else like the chromium or the diet or a very long volume training. So then I would wonder about the timing of the low, uh, you know, the hypoglycemic or low blood sugar issues during the day when he's having it versus training versus early in the day. There's a few more questions in there that might help to shed some light on that. But I just tend to think that it's probably not directly the gear. And I'm well, not saying that it's not. I'm saying that I think I, don't, I think the gear is definitely a factor, but it's maybe you're right. Like it's like a particular set of people that have a particular set of blood sugar issues or predilections to how their body processes glucose and except et cetera. Um, but I had, I had a training partner that anytime, let's see, I know he was using D ball at one point and he would get like ghastly hypoglycemic. Like if he took it pre-workout, he would be sweating like 15, 20 minutes into our workout. Like, like the type you sweat when you're really hypo and we test his blood sugar. And sure enough, it'd be like 52. Um, and I know he used, he tried Anadrol, he tried T-ball, he tried, um, he tried halo tests in at times. All of them had the same effect on him and he didn't see that same effect when he wasn't using orals. So that, that's what makes me think that there is definitely something to the orals in some people. And that's why I think there's like something to do with the liver as well. Um, Maybe it stops the liver from pushing out glucose properly to maybe it stops glucagon. I'm not exactly sure. There's not a lot of research on it because, again, guys, there's not a whole lot of research on 240-pound meathead slamming food and steroids. And, and you know what I mean? Like most, yeah. most, of the, most of our research is on either geriatric populations or, you know, single variable, you know, one arm curl on someone who's on some, some whatever drug. So it's, it's, right. it's not like, like that's why we have to extrapolate a lot of the stuff out of, out of our personal experiences. Nate makes a good point. Anxiety absolutely will dump blood glucose. No question. Yeah. Well, 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 anxiety will, will stress cortisol. Anxiety will cause your liver to dump glucose into the bloodstream. So it theoretically your blood sugar should be higher, yeah. but in turn, then it crashes. <laughs> I mean, so, okay. So like a, so like yeah. a transient hypoglycemia situation. Yeah. 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 yeah okay. I could, I could see that. Sure. So you say he's saying, which not, which could be right. Is that, the drugs cause the anxiety and thinking back, this person was always anxious and under a lot of stress because he was kind of a criminal, <laughs> but, but, but uh, yeah, I mean, that could be a plausible factor as well. The problem is, and I keep on talking about like studies, it'd be great if we could take blood samples like two hours before a meal, two hours with the meal, two hours with meal with drugs, 10 minutes, you know, 30 minutes after the meal, 30 minutes into the trip. You know what I mean? Like all these different mm-hmm. factors to see the whole hormonal cascade that's happening to yeah. be able to come up with a great picture of what's going on. But unfortunately, no one's going to spend three grand to do that for one workout. On a tiny, oh, there's tiny somebody note. out there listening yeah. right now going <laughs> three grand. Hmm. On a tiny, tiny note, I did suggest I was like, you could always get a blood glucose monitor, too, and actually get a reading on what's happening. That would be yeah. cool to do it all. Just like be hooked up to an IV. And uh, pop some Anadrol, get in the gym, do some heavy squats, and uh, check your blood again. Maybe that guy Tony Huge will do that. He seems like the kind of totally. I can see that. I can see that. Thank you for tuning in to another podcast here at Think Big Bodybuilding Media. If we've provided value to you today, then please consider contributing to our show. 
You can help support the show through Patreon. Every $5 helps to pay for the software and the hardware and everything else that goes into making a podcast. You can also contribute by using our code at True Nutrition. True Nutrition has been our title sponsor for several years now. I'm super grateful for them. And I've believed in True Nutrition supplements long before they sponsored our programming. You could use our code THINK for health supplements and performance supplements. Feel free to hit me up if you have any questions. And if you're in Canada, check out supplementsource.ca. They have free shipping over $99, huge discounts on overstock, short-dated, and label-changed products. Plus, they have all your normal supplements too. Thank you guys for listening to the commercial. I hope you're having a great day and that your bodybuilding is going well. Let's get back to the shelf. Wheel uh, around an IV bag while he's training. Okay, I've got nothing here because I have not uh, looked at. I know the vertical diet exists. I know who Stan Efferding is, of course, but I, I don't know anything about it. So I'm turning it to you guys. Chris, our last question from Patreon says, hey, guys, uh, have you experience with the vertical diet from Stan Efferding? It is known as the white rice and steak diet, but there is a lot more to it. I'm currently giving it a try on three weeks and so far. I have been very surprised how much my digestion has improved and how my IBS and bloating issues have gone down. Well, sounds like it's a win for him so far. Yeah. Honestly, I have his book and I can send it to you guys if you want. It's in like an ebook. I, I think it was free, so I think I can just give it to you guys. But um, the vertical diet is really just a... Um, it's just like a well thought out bodybuilding plan, really, you know, mm-hmm. higher in protein, higher in veggies and, and plenty of uh, vitamins, fruits, et cetera. And then using white rice as the base of your carb source, because most people do really well with white rice. It's not going to cause a lot of uh, distension, bloating, digestive issues. So um, it's re- like I said, it's really just a well thought out bodybuilding diet. Um, I don't think there's much magic to it. I think it's it's really good because he he comes around and does these seminars. And actually, I went to one of them because he came to our a gym next door to us. And it's really good to the population of people that, let's say they're like CrossFitters or they're casual gym rats. They're not bodybuilders. And they pick up on all these things that we already know about, that we already institute in our own uh, diets that kind of hit home to them. And then they reap the benefits of it and you get to brand it and make a lot of money. I mean, it's right. yeah. smart, actually. Yeah. All I know the only for question sure, I had about it was, oh, go ahead, go ahead, Scott. Oh, I was just going to say, all I know for sure is that at the Arnold Classic Expo, I watched Stan Efferding at the Animal Cage pick up the 200-pound dumbbells off the floor, get into an inclined bench, and bench press them like a dozen fucking times. And he said, if you can't pick them up yourself, it doesn't count. I was like, holy shit. Like, like- <laughs> Pick them up from the floor and then go lay down with them. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I mean, this was at his peak, too, when he was, like, you know, trying to be called, the like, the strongest body, but world's strongest bodybuilder, that whole thing. He Remember that? He went up against, yeah. like, it was ben, ben, ben White. Ben White. Thank you. Yeah, him and Ben White were going up against each other for that title. And no one's going to argue with his rules because the guy is an absolute fucking freak of nature. Yeah. I could roll I mean, one of them at a time. shit. Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, if you think about it, how many people can maneuver the the dumbbells that they're going to dumbbell press very well? I mean, even if you eh. can, it's such a waste of energy yeah. <laughs> that by the time you get them off the rack into position and you're back, <clears throat> you know, you're going back out and up is what I call it to get started. 
it's fucking exhausting. I think to myself, why am I not loading plates on a bench right now or moving a selectorized pin? That would be so much easier at this point. But he can say those things because he has no problem picking up 400 pounds off the floor, off the floor, getting him yeah. into position and then pressing them for reps like you're looking at him like, holy shit. I line my bench up with the rack. So I'm like right yeah, there. Yeah, you know what I mean? I like those dumbbell racks that they have. And I've never come across one in a gym where you set them up there and then you pull it out. It's spring loaded. Oh, and yeah. then as soon as you take them off, then, the you know, it kind of rolls yeah. back and out of the way. Why I don't get to come across this equipment in the gym. I've trained in ridiculously well-equipped gyms but i have never seen and they're not all that expensive arsenal makes one that one's probably expensive because all this shit's pretty expensive but it's great equipment and it's very well thought out mechanically and every the way everything is put together is great but i've never been able to use one but i did i want to forget this question about the diet i yeah. from what i understand doesn't the vertical diet also espouse drinking fruit juice because I, I've had a couple clients come to me who have said that they their carbs were from like orange juice or apple juice or something. Maybe it's only post workout or something like that. Um, yeah, I think but it I was. didn't. Okay, yeah, and I was thinking about looking into it because I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if this is the most optimal thing. And this is not a shot at Stan. It's not a shot at the vertical diet. All it was was it was something that was told to me by maybe only a couple clients, and it could have also been a misunderstanding or it could be legit. But I didn't. I couldn't figure out off the top of my head where that fit in. Um, you know, maybe it was someone who was trying to gain weight and they had a very fast metabolism. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm just, I'm asking you because you, you probably know more about that diet than I do. Yeah. I'm just trying to find the file on my computer. I'll, I'll find it later and send you guys. Bill the, said the cranberry. Yeah. Is, is he saying that it's cranberry juice? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And the biggest right. thing I picked up from Stan's seminar, which I think is great advice, especially for Gen Pop people, uh, especially if they you know suffer from poor insulin sensitivity, obesity, et cetera, is um, 10 minute walks after meals. You know, like a lot of people, like they're not willing to do cardio or they're just not, you know, maybe they're a busy executive and their schedule is jam packed day after day. But finding a way to do like a five to 10 minute walk after your meals, great way to lower your blood sugar, great way to just improve your overall health. Um, you don't have to drink it. Okay. Andrew says you don't have to drink it. He highly recommends it. So you inject it. I'm not sure <laughs> what the alternative is. <laughs> He's saying it's, not a, here, it's not a must. It's not a must, but he would oh, recommend okay. you do. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And look, I mean, Dante has said, you know, and I used it, uh, the organic pomegranate juice in your intra just for no other reason, really, than to get all of those basically health benefits hmm. in 15 or 16 grams of carbs. The only reason I stopped was I saw it stain my milk jug and I thought to myself, I just straighten these mother. <laughs> you don't yeah. want it to go to your teeth next. I don't, so. Yeah, I don't want to stain my teeth. So I, I quit. I'm like, let's see, stain my teeth or die from, you know, plaque buildup. Mm. Like, there also is an issue with getting all your nutrients around training, like uh, vitamins, minerals, and uh, antioxidants. Uh, we have a guy, Bill Willis, who's a, he's a PhD and an MD who did an article on mountain dog diet, like five or six years ago, really good, but he talks about how you should really try to take in your antioxidants, your multivitamins as far away from your training as possible because they interfere with, uh, muscle building process. I think with mTOR or something like that, I'd have to huh. go back and look into it. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. Listen, I've got a couple questions here in the live feed. If anybody else has questions in the live feed, feel free to, uh, to, to chuck him up here. Larry, he says, uh, when do you think it is optimal time to take HGH before training? 
after training, or before bed late at night. What does Skip's cat Larry. think? We should ask Larry. I know. Can you Larry, hear him? Larry, you tell us, man. Why? <laughs> yeah. Well, I know he's a he's a you know has a lot of knowledge because I've seen his name on a lot of message boards, me too, Facebook groups, and just a picture alone. Like, you, yeah, you dude, know, he's freaking he's jacked, man. He should mass. be telling us shit. Yeah. This, this should be Larry's podcast and we should be watching is what you're saying. I agree. <laughs> yeah, respect. I think the answer to the question is yes. Yeah. That's yeah. where I lean. I would be like, curious if Larry's still watching. I, I would be curious. Uh, tell us what you do because we, I want to know. I mean, Let's say you have to pick one. If you, what do you think is the most optimal? And I mean, I, I have no problem jumping in. I'm a, I'm a pre. pre I'm just workout? a pre. Yeah. I'm a pre. And and the reality is, is I don't see any difference pre post. Uh, I don't agree with before bed, but that's an on paper thing. It's the question whether it actually gets in the way of your endogenous normal pituitary patterns prior to go or when you go to sleep shortly after you go to sleep when you start to get into REM, your REM cycles. I, I have nothing to prove or disprove. You guys know I'm not a very I'm not a big studies guy because, again, you can find anything to support either side. So I've never seen anything definitive. I would wonder what Scott Stevenson's response to that would be. But another reason that I like it pre is because I don't have to change my schedule <laughs> with my GH if I decide to add insulin to the protocol because I am absolutely a pre-workout insulin guy versus poster or any other time. So that I'm sure that plays a, a small part in it as well. I remember I'm talking to a- Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I remember talking to Justin Harris and I asked him what he thought. And he was like, dude, he was like, think about all like the pros that, you know, it's hard enough mm-hmm. to get them off their Xboxes sometimes to eat their food or to train when they're supposed to. You think that they're dosing their GH at like a specific time of day every day? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, good point. Yeah. Sorry, Andrew, yeah. what are you going to say? Well, no, I, I agree with you because in the back of my mind or the overwhelming theme is that it doesn't matter as long as you remember to take it at roughly the same time each day. That, I think that's the most important factor. But in my mind, I, I lend a little bit of credence to taking it post-workout only because I think that's the time where you're going to be most insulin sensitive for the day. And I do think that with the translocation you're going to get for the uh, GLUT4 transporters as well as the IGF receptors uh, post-workout, then you feed your carbs, you get a flush of insulin. Um, and then you have IGF flooding the system from uh, the growth hormone and uh, released from the liver. I think that just creates a um, hormonal milieu. Here's a word for you. Uh, milieu, for anabolic yeah. gains. Yeah, That's milieu good. for, for anabolic gains. Uh, yeah. But with that being said, if someone wants to take it before with their, with their insulin or someone wants to take it before their last meal, if someone likes to take it first thing in the morning, I'm not like, you're wrong. You know, yeah, if, if, yeah. if someone just says, hey, I've always been taking it in the morning. I see really good results with that. I don't even comment on it. Like, okay, keep yep. doing it. Yeah. 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 It's funny you bring up Justin because Justin, myself, and one other person who will go unnamed back in the intense muscle days had a kind of a private discussion behind it. And we were laughing at this same question going, if you respond to it, it really doesn't fucking matter when you do. You either respond or you don't. And yeah. most of the time, that the large majority of the time, that's that's probably the case, which is funny too, because just to throw in a little years ago, not years ago, well, years ago, 05, 06, 04, 07, in there somewhere. You know, I was only in my mid-30s, and I took growth and got literally nothing from it, kept forcing it, thinking, oh, you know, it's not high enough, my dosage, whatever. And I just didn't get anything. I left it out for 10, 12 years. I came back to it, and I'm like, 
game changer. <laughs> Holy shit. Because I'm I'm assuming, of course it could have been quality, but I doubt so that you found a better age. source. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I think it was age. It was age. Skip could afford Sarostin and uh, yeah. Unitropin at this point. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I can afford the good shit now. Now I'm responding. Hey. But I think it was age related more than anything. And I've seen a lot of that with, with clients too. Obviously the genetically gifted or the ones who are predisposed to you know growing while they brush their teeth and they have to brush their teeth with both arms so that one doesn't get bigger than the other one uh, that's a little bit different story but i do think that people tend to respond better to growth hormone the older they get scott stevenson had a theory about that he said because there are going to be some people that do respond better better than others and he said he's seen it on more than one occasion where people who were known to be good responders to growth also had pointy ears and bigger noses that's what he said do you have pointy ears Andrew? Is that right let's measure well, andrew's ears because well, i know he's a great well, responder we need to like get well, a yeah here's here's why because i've i've run some stuff uh by scott steven you know we were backstage at a show together a couple years ago at universe i think oh yeah and uh and we talked about you know our cycles and stuff and i think mine was relatively low in terms of the aas side of things but my my gh side of things was you know a bottle of Sarasim a day and uh, right back at you. Brought to you and, by uh, mountain ice or <laughs> sparkling ice. You've code thing. Yeah. And I'm the kind of person like I'll run insulin almost right up to the, or I'll run it right to the day of the show where, you know, I'll still be doing, I don't know, eight to 10 units and hundred grams of intra carbs. Well, I should say once I get in shape, we'll add carbs back in, intra goes back in, insulin goes in all the good stuff. Anyway, the point is, is that he, he's like, Oh, you're a peptide responder. Yep. And I'm like, tell me more. And he started saying, well, you know, there's some people that just respond more to peptides like insulin, growth hormone, et cetera, versus the AS side of things. Yeah. And actually, and I keep forgetting, I wanted to ask him more about that. So that'd be a good topic for maybe a muscle mind someday. It would be. That's where we had talked about it before, but it's been so long now. And he just had made that correlation because you're, you know, if, if, if you think about it, if you respond really well to growth hormone, you're going to improve your ability to grow soft tissue and cartilage and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And he had, he didn't want to say names on the show, but he had shown me some pictures after when I was like, oh yeah, that guy definitely has ears that are pointy. And I don't know if they always had been that pointy, but they were almost like elf-like by the end of his career. So we'll, we're going to keep an eye on you, Andrew, and see what happens. Well, it's kind of like you can look at certain bodybuilders or even professional athletes like foreheads. Like um, Barry Bonds, for instance, if, did you see how much his forehead grew over the course of his baseball career? I've heard, but I didn't see it. No, or, or even like Ronnie. If you look at Ronnie's head, yeah. like when he was an amateur, like not going to say he had a pointy head, but it was like narrower. And then like over the years, like it grew with him. Yeah. Would you say the same to, about Arnold? Or he always had that that look. I don't think growth hormone was even a thing. Well, steroids because so. steroids could they could they have an effect too? Because I mean, I feel like his face. Uh, I feel like his face changed over time. He plastic surgery. Yeah, that's what it is. Why didn't I think of that? Like, why that does his face look so different? Plastic surgery. Oh, I yeah. could imagine the growth used back then would kill you because it was from cadavers. Oh, dude, I've heard <laughs> some stories it didn't, it didn't about that stuff. Well. Really sick. Yep. I know somebody who told me that uh, he said his elbows grew from the, what they did. Uh, and I'd love to get him on the show sometime to tell these stories, but he told me that him and he named a couple other people, including like a really good New York pro that everybody would know. They all got these kits of cadaver growth at the same time. Uh. And he said that you, you would take it for a period of time. 
And then after you took it, that's when it would work. So like the next month or two, that's where you would see the changes. And he said that like his elbows grew, that his elbows got pointier. Um, a couple other features, his hands got bigger. And it was like, he was like, and he leans in and he was like, I swear to God, he's like, I'm not joking. My dick got bigger. He was like, I'm not joking. <laughs> so you've got guys I, I, Googling natural yeah. or cadaver growth right now, punching yeah. the shit out of those keys, trying to find it. Ooh, Larry got that to us. I think the other thing is they used to take growth hormone very differently back then. They took it more like the prescribed way that they'd give to a kid with, uh, oh. uh, you know, like they take like a huge dose, like once a week kind of thing. Yeah. So Larry says, uh, so my usual way was to take HGH in the middle of the night on an empty stomach away from carbs in order to avoid blood sugar spikes from the HGH. This worked well for recovery. Recently, I started taking two units of HGH with five units of Humalog pre-workout, and the pumps are insane and strength also increased. However, since starting that protocol, my blood sugar levels have become erratic. I even added in a basal insulin and metformin to bring my blood sugar levels more into the normal range, but it is still not stable. Well, based so my, my, on that picture right there, I, I don't think blood sugar levels match or matter all that much. I mean, if you're huge, just go with being huge. I'm kidding, obviously. Yeah. No, my, my advice be to him is it seems like you stumbled on a, on a protocol that works for you very well, but then you're experiencing some of the negative side effects. So then I would kind of tamper it back a little bit. Like if he was doing that, say, six days a week or five days a week, I would say, okay, pick the three body parts days that you need to bring up the most and use that protocol and then take the two days off and do like a whole insulin sensitivity protocol. Maybe drop your carbs big time. Uh, GDAs every meal, metformin. Though I don't like metformin. I'd prefer berberine personally, but that's just me. All right. I'm going to see what we got here from uh, YouTube. We'll do a couple of these and we'll get back and do a couple more at the live feed. Um, question about certain leg press machines. Have you found that the canted foot plate on presses compared to just flat ones messes with your knees in some form middle or low foot placement when i'm hitting quads feels uncomfortable on the knees even with sleeves thanks guys i don't yes, think I he do means i don't think he means canted canted is that like where it goes it's like not, that well canted would be crooked i think oh. he means an open angle like the the there's more um, plantar flexion than dorsiflexion. So you're, you're, it's transferring more to the knees. Um, I mean, canted is crooked, essentially. It, it's right. I well, think it you, is like the machines think, that like go boom, boom, boom like that. Yeah, that's you know what, what I'm talking too. about. Yeah. It's like, not like, straight. Um, not a straight plate is what he's yeah. saying. Yeah. Like it has like, it's all, I've even seen some leg presses with a curve to it. Ooh. Oh, shit. Like those. Yeah. So, but this is just a hard angle that, like, boom, boom, like yeah. That. Oh, like the like old half... Icarian leg yes. presses. I get like, what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, like like yeah, half yeah. a hexa hexagon. Exactly. I won't okay. use one of those for that very reason. I agree. If I if I we're, we're supposed to do leg press that day and we're at a gym that has that, I'm like, nope, something else. Well, damn. See, and I have to use more of an open angle. Oh, see, he's not asking that though. But I'm thinking about that or that particular leg press, and I would go when I used that, even back when I didn't have uh, any issues through knees or anything else, it's easier on your lower back too by using the lower part of the the platform 
Um, and that means it's more open. The angle is more open and it's difficult because we're talking and I'm not able to show what I mean by open, but essentially there's more plantar flexion. You, you tend to drive more off the ball of your foot, not necessarily elevated heel, but off the ball of your foot because that weight transfers forward. It's like a hack squat that has an open, more of an open angle to it. And I don't know if you don't know what open angle is, I guess it's hard to explain, but anyway, for some people that is going to be more difficult on knees and for others who may have Issues with lower back, it's better on their lower back. So pick your poison. You got lower back problems or you got knee problems. If you got both, you're fucked like me. Um, <laughs> but you'll find <laughs> you'll find a way around. One will always work better than the other. But I'm glad you explained that because I didn't know exactly what he was talking about. So, so your usage of the word was right, buddy. Do you got anything well, else for that, Andrew? It kind of isn't. I, I mean, I don't want to sound pedantic about but What it, is crooked? It mean, canted means crooked. Well, it'd be crooked left to right. It's like if you take see canted is more of like a a film thing where you would you would twist the view of okay. a picture or something. You know what I mean to kind of make it look off or make it look like it wasn't like perfect or I understood or, him though. You I, get what I'm saying? Yeah, too. Well, I understood him. I, I didn't. I, I honestly thought maybe he was thinking. We got and, we got Miriam Webster here in the middle. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Like I said I'm I am I'm I'm being. I am being a bit pedantic, and I don't I don't mean to, but I was trying to understand what he meant, and I didn't know it until he explained it. All right. We're going to end. Only PhD-level language for Skip. We're gonna yeah, end. yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, we got one more question, guys. We got time for one more in this segment. He had two questions, but I like this one best. Uh, are you super particular? We're going to go a little bit lighthearted here. Are you super particular about your gym wear? Meaning, how much time do you spend choosing your swag or do you simply don't bother about it and uh go with what's in the closet what's closest to you pre-contest <laughs> pre-contest pre-contest when you're looking good and yeah shoes. yes that's funny now this time of year all right i'll tell you my truthfully what i do literally okay i get home from the gym the night before I take a shower and I put on some type of sweatpants and some type of t-shirt. I wake up the next day. I sit in that all day and then I go to the gym wearing the same thing. <laughs> My man. So I know that feeling. 100%. Oh yeah. That's, that's where I'm at right now. So, but pre-contest, it's a different story, you know? That's funny. See, I can't get away with that because if I pet my Savannah, I am covered in white hair. So that would never, that would never work. <laughs> I'm probably more particular now because I train, kind of higher end clients uh, down in Fort Lauderdale. And quite frankly, it matters what I look like because I could get another client out of it versus looking like uh, a meat, more of a meathead, I guess, than I actually am by not giving a shit what I look like. And this demographic at that gym is far more vain than any other typical, in a good way. I mean, I'm vain. I, I make no bones about it. So I don't want anybody to think I'm, that I'm making you know, a negative comment about the people that they're great, but it does matter to some degree based in it. If it impacts my revenue stream, I'm going to do what I got to do. Hell I'm matching right now. I got to have this red. I made sure my red in my hat matched the red on my sweatshirt. If it was off, I would not, have, I could not wear that hat right now, Andrew, because the reds <laughs> would not match it with my sweatshirt and I would not do it. But there's black in the writing. Doesn't that, that's there not is. close enough. That's no not good. Reds don't match. Hmm. Um, Skip, you have your cat clothes. I've seen. You know, you've got. Do you wear like you like cat leggings? You wear those to the gym? Yeah, actually, I have a couple of videos that I had to send them to my um, for my knee um, 
to Karen and Dan. She's an occupational therapist. She takes care. She's helping me. I'm working with her once a week. And actually, I picked up quite a quite a few things from her, little tidbits that have really started to help even more for my knee. But I did some videos in my cat um, cat stuff, and I've got probably 15, 16, 17 cat shirts. So it always gets a laugh. It gets a it gets a chuckle from the people at the gym. It's I've fun. Got, I've got something like this is just kind of clothes in general because at a certain point in life uh all your gym clothes are your regular clothes too uh i think andrew's with me on this one it sounds like well, they're not mine you guys are on your own <laughs> <laughs> here's the thing um here's where i have a problem i have clothes that are bigger and clothes that are not as big depending on you know where i'm at uh, and the worst point is when you're in between being able to fit into either of those sets of clothes. You can't wear like the, the smaller clothes because now they're too tight uh, and you can't. But you're still not to the point where you're like going to like fill out the bigger clothes. That's the only time I ever have an issue. But I will say this. I have um, I have one particular shirt. It is a Metallica shirt. And I wear that specifically for either back day or leg day only. I have never once put it on except for those two occasions. When that shirt comes out, it means I'm either training chest or back. I don't wear it any other time. So I have that shirt is designated just for those two workouts. And I do have other pieces of clothing that I feel like are in, they're like they're, they're better. Like they get me more focused or more psyched. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't like go out of my way to like find them. But like I do, I have a few shirts that are like, I'm going to have a good workout if I wear this shirt. I tell my, I see it and I'm like, oh yeah, I'll put that on and I'll have a good workout. Well, you, you guys played sports in high school, right? A little yeah. bit. All right. So like when you, when your team got like the new jerseys, like after you've been wearing like the same jerseys for 10 years or whatever, and there's holes in this one and they're faded. And then yeah. your team or your, your coach or the school finally gives you some money for some new uniforms and you get like the spiffy new colors and they fit you a little better. The arms are showing on your football pads and all that. Like, you know, like who was it? Like Dion was the first one to say, like, look good, feel good, perform good, mm -hmm. like that kind of thing. I do think there's absolutely something to that. So, and that's what I'm hearing from what you're saying, Scott. Like, yep. like, like you have an emotion attached to a particular outfit, and it needs you need to wear that to get into that emotion that you need to have a really good training session. And you're reserving it for like that leg day or yeah. that back day when you're trying. Yeah, I get it. So I think some of it too is like older shirts. When like I really I used to wear this shirt a lot when I trained with Shelby or something like that. Sure. Or like you know, there's been a lot of good workouts in that. I also had a pair of shoes that I hurt my knee wearing those shoes doing something else. Like I wasn't training legs. And then I hurt my back or something wearing those shoes again, like a month later. And I never wore those shoes again. Never yeah, wore them right. again. Never. Uh, yeah. Let me add one more thing. And I, you guys might agree with me. I won't wear a shirt based as much on what it looks like. I'm wear a shirt based on what I'm training of how I look in it. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? Like if yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, you, you know what I mean? Yeah, if it fit for oh shit today's chest day, okay. It's there's a different little slightly different fit to it, and it's more flattering. Yeah, then I will. I, my vein like my shoulders will look a little bit bigger. My upper pecs yeah. will look. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yeah, absolutely, no question. Yeah, well, that was, go go for it. Oh, I was just gonna close this out. I was gonna say with go, all that said, 
uh, guys, check out bodyberry.com. You can reach out to Andrew over there. Go to teamskip.com if you want to reach out to Skip and his cat, who's calling us in the background. Uh, you can reach me, McNallyDiets at gmail.com. And check out our awesome sponsors, truenutrition.com. Use our code THINK. Head on over to supplementsource.ca. If you're in Canada, you can get great blowout deals with them on all the top brand name supplements and free shipping over $99. Uh, and check out amino-asylum.com. You can use our code THINK there for 20% off. Guys, that's all we've got for you. Uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys.